What's up, Gravel family? I'm Sophia. And I'm Jason. And this is the Gravel Family Podcast. The Gravel Family Podcast is an encouraging space to motivate more people to get on their bikes and enjoy gravel. We're going to share a variety of stories from hometown pirates to the top tier pros. We're also going to share training tips and insights on gravel worlds and other events, as well as answer your questions that arise through your training season. We are so excited you're here. Welcome to the Gravel Family. All right, what's up, Gravel family? I'm Jason. And I'm Sophia. And we're, we have another really fun podcast. This is our gauntlet weekend where we're recording nine podcasts in a weekend. Uh, so it's been, it's been really fun. We're about halfway through now, so it's yep. exciting. Uh, we've had some great conversations and got another fun one uh, today. Uh, this is actually a Lincoln uh, native, so it's exciting to have a local connection here. Uh, and he's been, honestly, a longtime supporter of Gravel Worlds, too. So really excited to have them on. Uh, he is the owner of Certified Piedmontese. You'll know them from the Checkpoint Hot Dogs, uh, as well as the owner of Lone Creek Cattle, which is where those cattles uh, are, are grown for those hot dogs, uh, as he's a, the, a finisher of 18 full and 20 half Ironman races, which that alone is Wild. insane, and, and finisher of Ultraman Arizona, which qualified him for Ultraman Hawaii World Championships. Uh, so loves, apparently, the very long, <laughs> long races. Uh, he's also the founder of Great Plains Gravel Triathlon, which had their first uh, uh, outing this year, a couple weeks before Gravel Worlds. And he's also the owner of Slow Twitch Good Life Racing Team. Welcome to the podcast, Shane Peed. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, yeah, if we jump right into it, we like the highlight of that uh, that. Uh, intro there was all those Ironmen that you have done. So you are no stranger to very long uh, triathlon events. What what got you into triathlons? Um, so originally it started from probably about 15 years ago. Um, I needed to lose a lot of weight that I had put on during college years. Um, and I lost probably 60 or 70 pounds, um, mostly wow. off of diet first. And then yeah. Uh, and then that's what kind of got me into, at first it was running and then cycling. Um, and I did that for several years. Uh, and I just put off swimming, even though I always wanted to do a triathlon, I had no swimming background. Um, you know, so, uh, once I had, um, been at it with, uh, running and cycling for probably about three or four years, I finally jumped in the pool and, and, uh, that was a humbling experience at that point because like, <laughs> I couldn't even make the full length of the pool. Um, and that's kind of the experience of a lot of people who get into triathlon, especially as adults, you know, um, this swimming is, is the biggest hurdle. So that's crazy. So then, uh, after you got into triathlon, did that health journey continue? Uh, like I, I, I know you and I did had no, I would have no idea that you were an overweight person. You were incredibly fit. Uh, so were you kind of, you kind of said that you kind of plateaued or something and then the triathlon kind of took you further? Yeah. So, re well, really what it was, was like, um, in my high school and college years, I was really into weightlifting and I continued, uh, you know, uh, lifting a lot in college, but my diet just fell apart. Um, so like I was putting on muscle and fat at the same time and that's why like there was so much weight gain. <laughs> uh, so I'd say like you know, the first 40 or 50 pounds, like I, I really lost through diet alone. And then it was like exercise to maintain that. And I've kept that weight off, you know, for the last 15 years. 
Um, but kind of got into, like I said, the triathlon um, about 10 years ago. I think I did my first triathlon. It was, so you've done all of these in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's correct. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a huge accomplishment. That's a lot. What's, what's your favorite part of an Ironman? Is it the running, the biking, the swimming? Uh, it's definitely cycling now. So like I said, when I got into it, um, I, I was really focused more to running. And just over the years, that's transitioned more and more to, uh, to cycling. Um, and maybe someday I'll be swimming, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's like, that's the appeal of triathlon to me is that like, I don't, if I kind of get burned out on anything or like have any overuse injuries, that's much more common in running obviously. And I dealt with that a lot. Um, especially like in the first few years that I was running was just overuse injuries. Um, I can always switch to ramp up my cycling or swimming volume if I run into any of those. When, when you were, so your first, I would, I would assume your first triathlon wasn't like a half Ironman. Was it like an Olympic distance type triathlon or did you jump in to the deep end? Uh, no, I did a Olympic, uh, as my first, or a couple Olympics as my first triathlon. Um, but I did like jump up into long, so like short course triathlon is considered sprint and Olympic distance races, which are usually like in the one to three hour range. And then long course triathlon is considered half Ironman, full Ironman races, which, you know, range anywhere from, um, you know, like five to 12 hours for me. Um, and so I knew right when I got into it, though, there was a lot of appeal to like, you know, do a Ironman race, you know, so um, I jumped right into like doing a half Ironman the first year that I did triathlon and I did uh, a full Ironman like the second year that I was into the sport. What's been like a standout moment from your experiences at, at your Ironman races? Has it been like somewhere you've been or like an experience that you've had at one? Um, so I've done the Ironman world championships in Kona. Um, that was in 2018, which was quite an experience, um, just cause of like all the history and, you know, the sports really rooted there. And then, um, randomly I've also done a, a half Ironman distance race in Saipan, which is, um, it's out in the Pacific, uh, part of the Northern Marianas Islands, just a very random location that, um, I happen to be somewhat close to that in that part of the world for a business trip and it um it worked out to hit that race on my way back and someplace That's that awesome. like there's no way I would have ever have seen otherwise wow that's super cool. So then, uh, like of all the Ironman, obviously I would assume Ultraman's the hardest one you've done, but like of all the Ironman races, which has been the most difficult for you? Um, I'd have to say I did Boulder in, um, uh, so Ironman Boulder in, I believe that was 2018 as well. And I think the high temperature that day was like 105 or 106. Um, and so that was just brutal. Cause like usually in an Ironman, like you hit the run, um, in the hottest part of the day. So like, you know, I'm running between the hours of like two and six in the afternoon. So, um, that was probably just the most challenging from a condition standpoint with heat and elevation being boulder. Yeah, probably for sure. Where, where's the swim at and for Ironman boulder? Uh, Boulder Reservoir. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I get, yeah. Uh, just on the like northeast side of town. 
Um, and then they don't do the full there anymore, but they still have a half Ironman race out there every year that I like to do. Um, and they, they run it out of the reservoir as well. That's cool. Um, so then after you've done quite a few, um, full and half Ironmans, you dabbled into the Ultraman, which you just did in Arizona. Uh, what was that experience like? Um, that was really cool. Cause, uh, like I've done obviously a lot of Ironman races. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of other stuff like gravel races, road running. Um, I like to just kind of dabble in, in new things. Um, and Ultraman was, was really fun to me because it was like the total opposite of, of what I experienced a lot with Ironman, which is a very large race, tons of people. Um, Ultraman is like very grassroots, very team oriented because, uh, there's only about 40 racers usually in an Ultraman and you have to bring your own crew. Um, so rather than having, uh, aid stations supplied by the race, you have to, you have your own crew that supports you throughout the race. So there's kind of a team dynamic there. Um, and that was, uh, interesting too, because like I'd signed up for Ultraman Arizona, I believe in late fall of 2018. And that was for the race that was originally scheduled in March of 2020 and got canceled uh, a week before the race. So I'd been like, I'd always had this in mind to do an Ultraman. I'd signed up for it like almost a year and a half in advance. And then it's called like the week before the race. So then like they gave me the option to defer to 21 or 22. And I opted to defer it to this year. So a race that I had essentially signed up for like over four years prior, I finally race oh um, surreal to like get it done oh, oh yeah for sure and then you know like i said too the ultimate goal of doing the ultraman in arizona is that if you complete an ultraman it serves as an automatic qualifier for the ultraman championships in hawaii which i plan to do um not next year but the following year so <laughs> Um, All right. Well, if you, if you need a crew, let me let me know. I'm oh, yeah. on a one way flight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I remember uh, it was shortly after you finished Ultraman. Spoiler alert: He finishes. Uh, but uh, I was sitting in your office talking with you and Joe Finnegan, who crewed for you, and like just everything about that race is like like my jaw just dropped more and more. Uh, so like, what is an ultra, first of all, what's an Ironman? Uh, like what's the Ironman part of it? It's like 2.8 mile swim. Uh, so distances in Ironman are, uh, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a full marathon is 26.2 miles. So all in one day, like that's all, all in one day. Yeah. All continuous. Yep. Uh, and then, so then what's an Ultraman? Cause it's like mind blowingly hard. (laughs) So, uh. Ultraman is like a three-day stage race. So the first day is uh, a 10K swim, which is 6.2 miles, followed by a 90-mile bike ride. And then uh, day two is all bike, uh, and it's 100, roughly 170 miles on the bike. And then day two or day three, day three is all run, and it's a double marathon. Um, so like two, so like basically a 10. A, 50 miles or something like that? 52 uh, miles? Yeah, what is it? 52.4 miles. Oh, my yep. Lord. <laughs> like, yeah, each each one of those little things is insane. Like, even doing a 90-mile bike ride is 
hard. Like it's not the easiest thing to go do, but that's like after a six mile swim. My legs are literally hurting thinking about that. <laughs> that sounds, oh boy. Um, well, and then on top of that, this year, uh, the Ultraman Arizona that you did was less than ideal conditions because Arizona had a really cold winter. So the lake that you were swimming in was like 60 degrees or something. Is that right? It yeah, was it, was, super cold. it was probably less, a little bit less than that even. Um, <laughs> I wore a thermal wetsuit, gloves, neoprene cap, everything. And they, yeah, they had a cold winter in Arizona and also a lot of rainfall leading up to the race. Okay. So there was like a lot of um, uh, runoff uh, stuff and debris in the in the water. Um, oh so that, the swim was definitely... Uh, very challenging. I mean, I, I knew that would be challenging for me anyways, cause that's my weakest of the three sports, but like those conditions certainly didn't really, uh, help anything. <laughs> what was the training that went in, uh, to an event like that? Um, well, given that it was in March, uh, it was a lot of indoor training, which Ouch. I don't mind yeah. too much, uh-huh. but like, you know, there's a certain point where like you get over like, I had a couple of weeks in February where I was, you know, way over 20 hours a week and it was a hundred percent indoors. Oh um, my gosh, that... so that's kind of, <laughs> you know, mentally taxing. Um, but the training overall, I mean, it, I think it's just kind of an accumulation of like having done, you know, like all those Ironman races beforehand. Um, and I typically try to keep my training volume pretty consistent. Like, um, uh, on an annual basis. So I don't have like big fluctuations leading up to a race or anything. I just maintain consistency with it, which tends to work best with, um, with my lifestyle and my family. The event itself must have taken such a toll on your body. How long did the recovery take until you felt somewhat normal again? Um, I mean, probably, uh, a week, week and a half, at least. Um, I did get sick a couple days after the race. Um, you know, obviously putting my body through something like that is going to suppress the immune system. So I was feeling okay the day following the race on Monday, but by Tuesday I was coming down with illness. So, um, but after, after about a week and a half, I was feeling somewhat back to normal, I guess. What were you doing for recovery, like in, and nutrition too, between between like the days because like you have to be exhausted at the end of the day knowing i gotta somehow eat enough sleep enough like get massages i don't know what you had to do to like do something epic again the next day what was what was that whole like off when you're not doing stuff for the race what was that all like um so yeah like the nutrition and recovery aspects of of a stage race like that is is huge i did um Last fall in Waco, they have a, a 70.3 and a full Ironman that are on the same weekend. And um, it's uh, the full Ironman's on Saturday and the half is on Sunday. So I did that last year to kind of test out that recovery process where I did both races. Um, and like immediately when I finish the race, make sure that I get in some high quality nutrition and liquid's going to be the best at that point. Um, usually not what you're like looking for you want to eat some like greasy food or something you know more palatable but just important to get in carbohydrates immediately followed by some like high quality protein and the you know best way i found to absorb that is in liquid form and then um 
and then just like uh you know stretching uh you know it's like some foam rolling use the normatech boots you know that kind of stuff um and then try to get to sleep as early as possible we had an early start every morning for those three days um so the earlier i could get myself to sleep the better really did your body ever try to fight you on sleep? Because I know sometimes when our bodies are so sleep deprived and have worked so hard, it's kind of like working the opposite way of what you need it to do. Yeah, like too tired to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah um, that's interesting because I've definitely experienced that. Like uh, after I do a full Ironman, usually the night after I just sleep terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. With this race, I, I do think it helps. Um, like the first two days are actually even though they're long, they're, they're a bit lower stress because they're non-impact. So, cause it's only swimming and biking on, uh, days one and two. Um, <clears throat> so like, I actually didn't feel like, uh, you know, it was, it was as bad as it sounds, um, until I did hit the end of that third day. Um, and I was just totally destroyed, like a double marathon on <laughs> what are already fatigue legs, you know, it just, that totally destroyed me on day three. But, um, but day, like I said, day was saying that at all. Just saying, oh, I had to do a double marathon. Like, so so crazy. Um, Yeah. The the one thing that like I loved when you were like telling the story is like you had to have someone like kayak with you on the swim to carry nutrition because you're swimming for so long. Wow. Yeah. That you have to you have to eat like just like on the bike or the run you have to keep eating, but like you're in the water so you can't like really be doing that like that was what was crazy for me is like you literally have to have someone kayak with you with your food and stuff and water yep uh yeah for sure because like when you do a a full Ironman you know that swim for me is like around an hour 20 so I can definitely get through an hour 20 you know without needing to consume any calories but the swim for Ultraman is like you know upwards of three and a half to four hours so if you don't have calories you know i mean you're gonna bonk pretty hard in the in the swim so you do have yeah, to have a kayak water escort. isn't the best idea <laughs> oh yeah not not good um <laughs> so you do have to have a kayak escort and so then you use that that person to carry all your nutrition as well did you have any hallucinations during any of your endurance events during that weekend um no i've never experienced that um so I've done like some of this stage endurance stuff. Um, I've never really raced anything like too much beyond like 12 hours in a single go. So, um, I'm interested to try something like that. Like these, you know, uh, 300 plus mile gravel grinders. Like, I feel like I want to give that a go sometime. And then, then I think that might be when like hallucinations kick in, like in the middle of the night or something. <laughs> what, what I'm hearing is that you're going to do the long voyage this year. That's, That's... what I heard. I just heard it. Uh, yeah, possibly. It's definitely on, on my radar. So, Oh, let's go. That'd be, that'd be super cool. Uh, I, you've done the, have you done the 150 gravel worlds? And I know you've done the 75 a couple of times for sure. Right. Yeah. I've done those two distances and, um, I actually, I do have a four person relay team for Ram next June. No way. Um, cool. For yeah, the, so, uh, the, all the way across or the raw, the half, the half, like to call uh, it all, all the way across country. So we're going to do four, Whoa. four people. Sweet. Um, yeah. So I feel like my cycling fitness should be, uh, pretty good to, you know, take a, take a shot at something like the, 
long sure. voyage next year. I, I crewed for uh, a, a single team doing, uh, or individual woman that was doing the, uh, the first raw. So like to okay. Durango. Uh, and that was that was a blast to just crew for. Uh, but like watching what the team like, especially I it was fun because the Ram teams, they start uh, after like like four days after I think the individual start. So like we're way out ahead. And then all of a sudden, like these Ram teams start catching us and they would just like blast by. <laughs> our individual teams. Cause like they're, they're always rotating and stuff. It was fascinating to, uh, to get to see like the, the teams going on, on that. And we actually, uh, a couple episodes ago, right. We had, uh, Paige, Paige Redman on who it had crewed for a record team, uh, mm-hmm. doing, doing raw. That, that was a two man team, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was two man yeah, team. Yeah. Two. So yeah, that's good luck with that. That's, that's really cool. Awesome. Uh, that race is California to New Jersey. Is that where that it's like race across uh, so it goes, it literally goes across. Yeah. Ocean Oceanside is the start to um, Annapolis. Maryland is the finish. Yeah. It, very, very cool. And they, I mean, they go, go across the plains, go across all the mountains. Like they, they literally ride. And then those four person teams are just rotating. So who's all on your, who's all on your racing team. So uh, Josh Lundgren it's on Heck it. Yeah. You may know. Cool. Yeah. Um, he and he's, third, he's he got third at gravel worlds this year. At the long yeah. Course. Yeah. He's really into the ultra stuff. Um, and I think he'll be great on the climbing portions as well. And then, um, DD Griesbauer, she's a professional triathlete, um, who I've known for a long time. Um, she's done some Ultraman events as well. Um, she's actually, she's the oldest professional triathlete currently. So, wow. Wow. Um, She'll be a nice addition to our team, and then I'm still figuring out the fourth rider. Very cool. It's, so is it? Co- it's obviously co-ed. So does it have to be two guys and two girls, or is that how? No, no, we can do anything really. Um, it's it's honestly like, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm you know spending that much time with people like in high stress environment. Yeah. Like I, I just got to find the, you know, people that will click with the group the best and can, For sure. and have some experience like with these ultra events, you know, cause, um, doing it in a team fashion like that is kind of not, not something we want like to be the first exposure to like doing an ultra event, you know? Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, cr- it was fascinating how much like, being able to get along with people because everybody's sleep deprived, the crew's sleep deprived, the athletes are. And yeah. it, it, like, if you have a bad team, like it's, it's one person can ruin the whole thing for all 10, 15 people or however many people are on the crew. Um, so in, there was, there was times on, on our crew that it was like, all right, everybody, we need to take a break. But like, if yep. you didn't have the wits about you, like it could have just like ended it for everybody kind of deal. So, uh, that's really cool. That's really cool that, uh, you're doing that and yeah, you're totally right. It's more about who's on your team rather than like the, the legs under the, the bike kind of thing. So yeah, for sure. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. If you, uh, thanks. That's really, really cool. Well, you mentioned Josh Lundgren, and that kind of goes into the next question we had for you, which is a couple years ago, you actually started the Good Life Racing Team, which Josh has been part of. Uh, What was the catalyst behind starting a Nebraska-based cycling and triathlon team? 
And so originally it just kind of started as like um, a cycling team because um, I had some other like tri-club affiliations. Um, but because of like my my social network was primarily made up of triathletes, like uh, it grew into a triathlon and cycling team rather quickly. Um, part of the catalyst for that, though, was just the launch of a new uh, business platform for us, and that's Good Life Brands. So Certified Piedmontese is our original business. Uh, we sell Certified Piedmontese beef from cattle that we raise here in Nebraska. Um, but to expand our offerings, especially on our online platform for direct-to-consumer sales, we started to sell other sustainably sourced proteins and some food products. Um largely sourced from here in Nebraska when we can, but there's some products that, that we source from, from outside of Nebraska. Um, and this team was just kind of an extension of that, kind of a marketing asset for that platform. Um, so I got into it because also there's like, when I'm training for, uh, for triathlon, like it's a lot of solo training. I mean, it can get pretty lonely sometimes, but especially in cycling, like the group training uh, it really helps push myself, um, you know, and there's an, quite a few guys around here locally that I've ridden with over the years. And I just felt like it was a good opportunity to start something fresh, uh, for a new club here. But that, like I said, it's quickly grown, uh, to be a national team now. Um, I partnered up with slow twitch cause the owner of that is a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably have, uh, couple hundred people on it next year oh wow, wow. so how huge many huge growth how many do you have on it right now um so this past year we had a little over 50 uh athletes on it total and then um yeah right now we're looking at somewhere between two and three hundred for next year wow and then there's but then you have like a pro level as well right like so are most you don't have 200 professionals right oh like, no that's that's across uh um all levels and um, all disciplines as well. So we have gotcha. we have a few professional uh, bike uh, bike only athletes and a, f- a few professional triathletes that are on the team. But and and then like there's elite members and we don't really get too big into like who's classified as what. But then that extends down to uh, you know people who are relatively new to these sports as well. And I'm glad that it's evolved into being you know, multidiscipline, multifaceted. Um, cause like I said, I, I enjoy dabbling in, in different things. So like primarily do long course triathlon, but I love to do like gravel races, uh, road running races. Um, I jumped into a Xterra race, uh, late this summer on Colorado, um, which is like a off-road mountain bike, uh, triathlon with a trail run. Um, so that was very different for me. Um, like I didn't even have a mountain bike until this summer. So that's really cool. Um, so obviously starting a team, it could be a huge endeavor and then growing a team. So what are some, uh, challenges that you didn't really expect with starting a cycling team that you've had to overcome? Um, honestly, like the biggest challenge is just the amount of work that's involved in it. And I think you probably appreciate this from like running a, you know, an event is that there's like so much behind the scenes stuff that I don't think people, you know, think of, um, until like I get in it and it's just, you know, none of it's like, none of it's 
huge, like, or that time consuming on its own. But when you, um, when you put it all together, it ends up occupying quite a bit of my time. And then, uh, then I'm trying to like find somebody else to help me out with this. So I'm not like taking away from other, other things that I, I need to do in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That it's very true. It's like, sometimes it's like hard to put it. It's like, yeah, putting on a, a race that's one weekend a year is a full-time job. And it's like, how's that a full-time job? And it's like all these little things that take maybe only an hour, but you have to do those throughout the year all the time. Uh, I can only imagine managing hundreds of athletes and sponsors now and pro athletes. Yeah, it's got to be a lot of, of moving parts for sure. And on top of that, you also started the first ever Great Plains Gravel Triathlon. Um, so that... So that- that adds a little bit to the plate as well. Um, and we actually had the opportunity to run a, just a simple aid station at that event. We were so impressed with the organization um, and really the turnout of the first year. Uh, what made you start one of the first gravel triathlons in the country? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for your help with that. Um, we had a great, great year for it. Um, I guess the the idea behind the gravel triathlon I've, is something that I've had in mind for a long time. Um, nobody was really doing it, though, until just these past couple years. And USAT actually got behind it from a sanctioning standpoint. But they recognized, like, I mean, if you're going to deal in gravel, like, you don't want to be too restrictive on, on the rules, you know. So um, we, were, we had a lot of latitude to set the race up however we wanted to. Um, but my main motivation for it, and again, just like the, the team, it's, um, you know, I want to keep people in the sport, want to keep them active. And, you know, I've seen over the years, like participation rates in, in triathlon have appeared to decline a little bit. Um, and I saw a lot of those people like going into gravel cycling. I was like, well, why not combine gravel cycling with the triathlon? Um, you know, again, you keep it kind of like a, a low key grassroots type of event, you know, that's very welcoming. So not only do you retain like those people that have been in the sport for a long time, but it's also welcoming to, to like newcomers as well. And that's what I think we saw on, on race day was like, you know, there was, there were some people that, you know, it was their first triathlon. And then there's some people, I'm sure it was like their hundredth triathlon. Um, but it was, it was really good mix and we're excited to continue it next year and keep growing it have you set a date for 2024 yet so this year uh we did it in august and next year we want to move it to the spring so tentatively right now we're looking at may may 18th all right Uh, so be fairly early but um one nice thing is that guarantees it'll be a wetsuit swim which for any triathlete is a nice bonus oh that's a good thing to have a wetsuit oh yeah for sure yeah so like the the water will the water's a little bit colder, but like being able to swim in a, a wetsuit, I mean, it's like a wetsuit adds a lot of buoyancy and oh. it frankly just makes the swim quite a bit easier. Interesting. Okay. I didn't, I did not know that. All right. Yeah. yeah. I love that you guys went a little bit more North, um, this year from Lincoln cause those roads out there are so beautiful. It was, it was a beautiful course. Yeah, it was for sure. I mean, we had um, we had several people come in from out of state, and I think it really like showcased the the beauty of Nebraska. You know, I think they were surprised by that. 
I, I always love when people come to Gravel Worlds or events like, like yours, and they're like, I had no idea. Nebraska. I thought Nebraska was just this flat wasteland kind of thing, and they come out here, and they're like, what are all these massive hills and like <laughs> beautiful landscapes and stuff? I, I, I always love that when they come to Gravel Worlds, and you know, we have more elevation than SBT the weekend before, you know, and that's a mountain race. <laughs> it's like we got more elevation than them kind of thing. It's like Nebraska is not flat, <laughs> that's no. for sure. And, and you know what Nebraska has a lot of? Cows. I was going to say really good beef. <laughs> that's right. We are the <laughs> we are the beef state, and we cannot have uh, the owner of Certified Piedmontese on here without talking about beef. Uh, so... Um, we ended up. We can't end the podcast without talking about certified Piedmontese. Uh, you guys have supported Gravel Worlds for several years now, maybe since 2019, coming up on almost five years. Um, and the legendary checkpoint hot dogs uh, have like become almost an icon of Gravel Worlds. But Jason, I gotta, I gotta stop you there. They're not just the hot dogs. People started calling them the pocket dogs. The pocket dog. Oh, the, we- the pocket dogs. <laughs> the, the hot dog to go. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, so um, thank you. First and foremost, like, thank you so much to, to you guys, a local, big local business uh, supporting local events. And this weekend is the Good Life Havesy. You guys are the title sponsor of that event. Um, so just first and foremost, before we start talking about what Certified does, like, thank you for, for your support. It's, it means a lot. You're welcome. Happy to help. Happy to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, let, let's go like, what is certified Piedmontese? I'm, I'm very lucky that I've, I, um, from my previous job where I, where I worked at Sandhills, I've had a long connection with certified Piedmontese and have enjoyed, uh, the beef for many, many years, probably a, almost a decade now, I, I, somewhere around there. Um, uh, but yeah, what is certified Piedmontese? Why is it, um, so good in, in many different ways outside of just tasting good? So uh, Piedmontese is a breed of cattle that actually originated in the Piedmont region of Northwest Italy. And they were brought over to North America uh, through Canada um, in the late 70s. And we came across it because we started um, we started our ranching operations um, around 2005. I had previously been in ag or involved in agriculture um, even prior to that, but started the ranching operations around 2005. And then um, we knew all along that like the ultimate goal was to have our own branded beef program. And uh, we spent a few years just kind of identifying like what our target market and audience was. Um, we knew that needed to be a, you know, a niche. Uh, and, and, and I really wanted to move towards like a, you know, a health conscious consumer. Um, so, a few years into it, we found the Piedmontese breed that really delivered all the attributes that we were after. So they have a unique genetic makeup that causes them to marble, uh, so they a lot less than conventional cattle, but still be just as tender. So our cattle, um, they'll have typically up to 50% less fat than prime beef, but it's just as tender. So we've done like shear force testing down at the university. And it'll test as just as tender as prime with like half the fat. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds there. And we started the certified Piedmontese beef brand um, a few years after that. And we've been running with that for about the last 12 years now. Yeah. 
Uh, and the the other big thing is it's grass fed, grass finished too. So that's that's how you get the way less fat. And the big thing too, I didn't even realize this is a thing, but the grass fed, grass finished, the grass finished part is really important um, because a lot of it, correct me if I'm wrong here, a lot of th- meat that says grass fed makes you feel really good, but then like before. <laughs> you harvest that meat, they like just stuff them full of corn or whatever, like higher fat, um, right at the end. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's accurate. Um, you know, it's, it's terminology that's not always regulated too tightly. So our cattle are finished hundred percent on a grass fed ration. Um, whereas like if you do, uh, you know, you can use the terminology grass fed and then they might put them into a feedlot, um, fed grains for the last, you know, 90 or 120 days, um, to get, get them to fatten up. Uh, cause it's like, it's easy gains to make on the cattle. Like it's relatively cheap. Um, so it's a little bit more expensive when you feed them on a, a true grass fed grass finished ration. Um, but the end product, yeah, it's, it's leaner again, it's more sustainable. Um, and ultimately like just serves our, our market, you know, much better. And you guys have proved yourselves to be a, a really good, um, solid name in Nebraska because I know, like, I go to the dog bar off leash a lot, and I'll go specifically on the days that Aragon with certified Piedmontese is there because I know I'm going to get great food while still my dog's running around, you know? So, like, <laughs> I'll follow Aragon to wherever they're going. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Um, and then uh, another thing I want to make sure we point out uh, too is you are based here in Lincoln. Like you're, you have uh, uh, ranch land all across Nebraska. So this is Nebraska, Nebraska beef, uh, but your headquarters are right here in Lincoln. So if you're coming to Gravel Worlds, I would argue the nicest restaurant in Lincoln is at your headquarters with Casa Bovina. Uh, I I don't know of a not nicer place in Lincoln. Right. Like it's very high end. Um, you have like the chef there that you have and uh, that you've had in the past is insane. Like if this is like actually a couple weeks ago when Michigan, the Michigan football team was here, Dave Portnoy was, uh, was around and he, he went to Casa Bovina and he gave it like a 10 out of 10 best steakhouse, something like that, that he's been to. So that coming from somebody who's from New York city and has traveled the world, like that's the level of this restaurant. Um, can you like better describe Casa Bovina of what it is? Cause if, if you're coming into Lincoln for gravel worlds, like it's, it's a high level recommendation if you want a high level food experience. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. It's great to hear. Um, the restaurant, uh, like I said, we started up, uh, when we moved out to that headquarters, which was, um, in the late summer of 2020 and there was um you know quite a bit of turmoil like in the restaurant business at that time and it just allowed us an opportunity to recruit in some really top-notch staff from out of state um and then they've stuck around here just because it's a it's such a unique concept to be um you know a restaurant tied directly to you know a high-end beef uh company um and it's been a great you know marketing asset uh, for our company as well. It's just a great addition to the dining scene here in Lincoln. And now you guys are opening a downtown certified Piedmontese owned restaurant, Aragon down under which building is it under downtown? Uh, so that's in the lead place building. Okay. The new, the new tall building. 
Yep, that's correct. And that should be opening here uh, probably within about the next month or so. But that's what oh, like cool. the Aragon uh, pop-up has been for, just to kind of get some exposure for that concept that will be opening up he- here soon. That's yeah, so awesome. that'll be a good place for people to go to if they're downtown, staying at the Good Life, uh, or not Good Life, uh, Graduate. Yep. It's just a few blocks from there. That's right. Um, and uh, also, before we, we go, where can, uh, similar to... Um, Wait, cut that out. That was awkward. Um, you you uh, can't, no matter where you are in the country, maybe the world, uh, you can order certified Piedmontese directly to your door. Um, what? How do people order um, stuff that's overnight delivered, um, which is your primary delivery source, right? Most of it's consumer direct. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the easiest way for, for consumers to get their hands on product because um, we can ship that to all 50 states. And uh, you can just go on piedmontese.com and uh, we have our full online shop there. We also offer um, every single cut that we produce is on that site. Yeah, which is wild. And the, the checkpoint pocket hot dogs, I guess. You can, yeah. get, you can get those. <laughs> not, ch- not even exaggerating, these hot dogs are the best hot dogs in the world. I will fight to the death on that, that they are so good. I, I had nothing to eat by the point I got to the checkpoint to go check on it this past Gravel Worlds. And a lady just shoved like three in my hands. And I was like, thank you. I'm going to eat all of these right now. Uh, I love it. All right, so uh, we'll put the li- link in the description uh, where you can go order these. Uh, they also have uh, like monthly beef boxes. Is that or the uh, what's it called? The beef club or yep. box club? Yeah, we do those. Yeah, those are like subscription services, so you can get a little additional savings there. Yeah, get savings, and then you just—it's like Christmas every single month. You get this this box. That's I've had I've idea. had it a few times in the past, but I I luckily live closer. Also, you can go to. Uh, you have a couple locations in Lincoln that you can get uh, certified Piedmontese, correct? At your, um, yeah, so, at your shops? Yep, that's correct. The Mercado, which is the butcher shop that's actually underneath our restaurant there at uh, 84th and Havelock. And then we opened uh, two other Mercado locations, um, one in Lincoln at 29th and Yankee Hill and another one up in Omaha at 168th and Maple. Awesome. Well, uh, before we go, uh, I just wanted to—I did want to say thank you again so much for your support of Gravel Worlds and and, and your support of uh, projects in Lincoln that help people uh, get into sports and stuff that you do um, quietly on the side. So appreciate you very much for that. And um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed our conversations about about gravel and, and sport. So really appreciate you and the support. And I look forward to many years of. Uh, working with you but before we go uh, Sophia always has one last question yes so uh, what does the gravel family mean to you um gravel family to me um I don't know I I think that's like it's my um I I mean it's my entire social network really like outside of work uh, like in my my family like this is you know kind of everything else to me really I love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time on this uh, Husker game day Saturday. Appreciate appreciate your time. Um, and we will see you out on the gravel seas. Yep, thank you. All right. I'm Sophia. I'm Jason. I'm Shane. And this has been another episode of the Gravel Family Podcast. We will see you next time. Gravel Family Podcast is a Pirate Cycling League production. Gravel Worlds and Pirate Cycling League are owned and operated by Gravel Adventures LLC, Lincoln, Nebraska. For more information on Gravel Family Podcast, visit www.gravelfamily.bike. 
For information on Gravel Worlds or Pirate Cycling League, go to www.gravel-worlds.com.